All right. Well, if you've ever been here before on a Sunday where I've been off for a week or two prior, you know it's going to be a while. We're going to be a while. I got to make up. I, I usually preach for 30 minutes. I was out for two Sundays. That means I've got 90 minutes today. And so cancel your lunch plans. No, I'm just kidding. Really, today is the last day of Summer at the Gathering. Uh, so all summer long, we do a summer series called Summer at the Gathering. We do fun stuff along with it. And today's the last day of Summer at the Gathering. We're declaring summer closed, okay? It's over. So go to the lake this afternoon. It's over starting tomorrow. Summer at the Gathering ends, and we transition from Summer at the Gathering to our annual time of prayer, 21 days semi-annual, 21 days of prayer. And our series for 21 Days of Prayer this year is called Hearing God. And what I want to talk about starting next week and through that uh, time of prayer is how we pray. How do we pray? How do we listen? How do we hear God? How do we discern His purpose for our lives? How do we make decisions in a way that honors Him? How do we do those things? And before I can teach that, I need to give a, a, a prologue. And so today's message is a prologue to the series that we're starting next week. Um, because before we can talk about how we hear God, we need to understand the Holy Spirit. And so today, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Or if you grew up Pentecostal, the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody, give a shout of praise if that was you. Just kidding. Don't. Yeah, you could do it. That's all right. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, we're going to talk about the Holy Ghost today. I want to teach some pneumatology. Pneumatology is what we call it in seminary, the study of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and get, get a, a better understanding of this aspect of God. You know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how people get to know one another. It's an important part of my job, leading a church. Uh, if I'm going to create the kind of community for you that gives you the space to find freedom and discover purpose and even know God by doing that alongside the people of God, then I've got to understand how people form relationships. And to do that, I've got to be able to know how to create environments that make that easier. So I've had to become a student of people in this career. And here's a key thing that I've learned. In order to really know somebody in a way that matters and in a way that you have to know them in order to learn from them and to grow from them and to go through life alongside one another the way we were created. I believe you were created not to go through life on your own but to go through life as a part of a community. I think that's in the story of scripture from Genesis to Revelation that that is what you need is people in your life but to be known by those people in a way that actually works and that matters, you've got to really know them you got to know every aspect of who they are because as people, we're not very simple, are we? We're not just one thing. Nobody is only one thing. I'm not just a pastor. I'm also a husband, and I'm a dad, and I'm a friend. I'm a little bit of a troublemaker. I'm a worshiper, and I'm a veteran. I'm, I'm all these different things put together. I've lived through the worst moments imaginable. And I've lived through some of the best moments imaginable. And all of these things come together as different aspects of who I am. They make me who I am. And despite all of it, all these aspects of who I am are things you really need to know about me in order to really know me in a way that would allow us to experience life together. 
When you join a group or you meet someone on Sunday or at first Wednesday, you're starting the process of uncovering the different aspects of that person. And if you're committed to what the church really is, a community of people serving Jesus and growing in him, then you're letting somebody else move through that process with you, get to know you and every part of you as well. That's how we build community. It's simpler than it, it's easier said than done, isn't it? It's stories shared around campfires and picnic tables. It's moments that we live through together and choose to show up for. It's asking questions in order to go deeper. It's all of those things combined. When we do, we do it, when we start dating somebody, we want to know who they are. We, we go through this process. We do it when we make friends and we do it when we build community as a church. And we need to do it in our relationship with God because we can't fully know God and benefit from a relationship with him until we know every aspect of him. And all of that means we need to really fully discover who God is in terms of the Father and the Son and especially the Holy Spirit. In order to live a life that is full as a follower of Jesus, you've got to understand the Holy Spirit, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you need to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit is the source of all the things that Jesus promises us as his followers. Peace, joy, satisfaction, power, purpose, even the ability to truly know God comes out of the Holy Spirit. But for so many of us, the Holy Spirit is the most confusing or least known aspect of who God is. So today, I want to teach this basic class of understanding the Holy Spirit. I want to begin with the Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity. Now, I'm not talking about George Strait, Alan Jackson, and Garth Brooks, the Holy Trinity of country music. There's not a lot of country music fans in here. I saw some disdain on some of your faces. All right. Uh, I'm not talking about that Holy Trinity. I'm talking about the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Trinity is a concept that is never labeled in the Bible, but is constantly spoken about. It is spoken about throughout the story of Scripture, but never called outright the Holy Trinity. We labeled it that to explain a concept that we see from the beginning. A great example of where we see it is in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's John's version of the Christmas story, and he's trying to help us understand the spiritual reality of what happened when Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary. John gives us a basic explanation of the relationship between Jesus and and God. Jesus is an aspect of God. He is a part 
of God. John poetically puts to words this concept that is really unlike anything we could ever fully understand in the world that we live in. There is nothing else like it. The Word was God, and the Word was with God. He's God. He's a part of Him. He's an aspect of God, but He's also different. He became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He speaks to the Father. He prays to the Father. He's blessed by the Father. He's filled with the Holy Spirit sent from the Father. One God, different aspects. Jesus is God, but at the same time, Jesus sits at the right hand of God. He's not a different deity like Zeus and Ares. He's not a prophet or an angel like the Muslims believe or the Mormon religion believes. He's just a part of God. He is God. And then there's another part, a third aspect called the Spirit. And the first place we see this aspect of the Holy Trinity is in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we have the Creator in this passage, and we have the Spirit. John says, also, the Word was there. The Word is John's name for Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all present at the moment of creation. The same spirit spoken of in Genesis chapter 1 is in Matthew 3:16 as, as he unites with Jesus at his baptism. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold, a voice from heaven said, "This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased." And Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three aspects of the same God. Jesus tells us that we get the same Spirit in us after his resurrection. In John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. We will come to them and make our home with them. I'll come back to that. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And all of this I've spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Are you thoroughly confused yet? What you're seeing here is an incredible uh, Jesus, an incredible moment where Jesus is speaking of the interaction between the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. It is the three different aspects of the one living God. He exists in three parts. I, I had said the most basic explanation is that the same pot of water can exist in three forms. It can be water, liquid. It can have ice floating in it, solid, and steam rising from it. It's all the same thing, but in different ways. 
the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, exist as one God in three different aspects, three different parts. The Bible consistently goes through this description of God in ways like Jesus does in John 14, uh, as one being with three different aspects. The Father is the main actor throughout the Old Testament. The Son is the focus of the Gospels. And the Holy Spirit is the main aspect seen through the rest of the New Testament. So the Holy Spirit exists as an aspect of God, equal to the Father, equal to to the Son. He's part of him. He's a part of the God that empowered Jesus throughout his ministry, all the acts of the apostles after Jesus. He's the part of God that brought everything to life during creation. He's the power of God at work in our present world, and he's the part of God that becomes a part of us. And the second thing I want to talk about is the union, the union between the Holy Spirit and man. Let's talk about how you can have the power of the living God at work inside of you. We got to understand this because this really is the key to living a full life is understanding the Holy Spirit. We just read these promises from Jesus in John 14 that he would be sending someone to help us after he leaves. Jesus called him the advocate or the helper the Holy Spirit, and that advocate will teach us things about God as we pray and study scripture. And that advocate will fill us with power that will bring miracles and redemption and conviction and everything good that the Father has promised. In fact, Jesus says that when, we, when, when he leaves, when Jesus would leave and the Spirit comes, that we would do even greater things than he did during his ministry. Keep in mind that Jesus said this just a couple weeks after he looked at a tomb and said, Lazarus, come out, and a man walked out of his grave. Keep in mind that Jesus once looked at a tree that didn't give him any fruit and just cursed it, said, you daggum tree, and the tree weathered up on the spot. Keep in mind that Jesus walked on water, that he taught truth to thousands, that he fed people and saw people and forgave people and brought new life to people. And he said, you will do even greater things than me by the power of this Holy Spirit. Look what he says in John chapter 16, verse seven. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, then I will send him to you. You understand what he's saying here? The gravity of this? He says, it's better for us that he ascend to heaven and leave so that the Holy Spirit would come. Consider that for a moment. Imagine Jesus sitting next to you at church helping you understand stuff. Imagine going home afterwards and you have a, an issue with your kids that you're really not sure how to handle and you can just be like, you know what, Jesus is over there. Jesus, come here, I gotta figure this out. I gotta, they just, you would not believe what this kid just asked me. Can you please, do you mind? Yeah, I mean, imagine in your marriage when you're having difficulty, if you could just say, you know who we should talk to? Jesus is right over there. Let's, Jesus, come here, let's have dinner together. And a physical Jesus sat down and helped you work it out. Imagine at work, 
If you had Jesus walking alongside of you, imagine when you are feeling absolutely crushed by the world around you, if Jesus was there to physically hold you and comfort you. Imagine physical Jesus going through your life alongside of you. But Jesus said, that's not what's best for you. That it's even better for you that I should leave so that the Holy Spirit can come. Because by the power of the Holy Spirit, when your kid asks you questions that are difficult to answer, you have the Holy Spirit within you to speak his words through your mouth. When you're falling on difficult moments in your life, you have the Holy Spirit to comfort you and give you strength and power that you didn't know you had access to when you are having a conversation with a coworker about the rest of their life, an important life-giving conversation, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to speak through you. It's better for you than having Jesus physically alongside of you. I think this is one of the most important passages in the New Testament for us to swallow and understand because I think we think it would be easier if Jesus was just here alongside of us. But Jesus says it would be better for you to have the advocate sent to you. So he sends his spirits, and he sends his spirit on a day that we call Pentecost. So there's a couple moments that precede Pentecost. One is towards the end of his ministry, Jesus sent the disciples out to go and do work throughout the, the region that they were in. He sent them out two by two. And it says that he gave them his power of the Holy Spirit to go into these places and preach and teach and heal and do the kinds of miracles that Jesus was doing at that part of his ministry uh, in those places. So they had some access to it before, but we don't know if that was permanent or not because we have this other moment. Now, Jesus has been crucified and died for all of our sins. He resurrected on the third day, meaning there was a dead body in a tomb and it woke up and it came back to life. And he appeared before many people and he taught and he spoke to them and he encouraged them. And then after 40 days, he ascended back into heaven. Jesus was gone. The disciples were wrecked. They were trying to figure out how they were going to move on with their lives. They're hiding in places. They're going back to their old jobs. They're going fishing, which is what I would do. And they're just trying to figure out what what's next because they've given up on the work and the ministry of Jesus, but then he came back to life. And when he came back to life, they're thinking, oh, thank goodness, we can continue what we started because they tried to kill Jesus, but he's still here, and so we can keep on going. Thank goodness we, we're good. We're back in business even better because now we have resurrected Jesus. Except then Jesus said, I'm leaving. And they were like, you're doing what? You're going where? Why? You're here. And Jesus ascends into heaven. And as he's ascending, and they're all just, you know, gate mouthed looking up in the clouds, an angel comes and says, Why? He's gone. Quit looking, quit staring. He'll come back the same way that you saw him go, but you've got work to do. And so they go and they find a place and they pray. And they're hanging out together, and there's a bunch of people kind of hanging around outside trying to figure out what the heck's going to happen next. And that's what the disciples are doing. And they're in Jerusalem and they're, they're in this room and they're, 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 they're waiting as they were told to do to see what's gonna happen next. And this is when our part of the story begins. Acts chapter two, verse one, it's called Pentecost. 
When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They were there for a Jewish festival. When they heard this sound, a big crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Which is to say, aren't those guys like dumb? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Alamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, sounds like a cool place, Pontus in Asia, a lot of different places, Egypt, parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, in our own language. How could it be? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this even mean? And some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Because when you're acting in the power of the Spirit, sometimes it gets a little bit wild. And Peter says, hey, it's only nine o'clock, guys. Give us a little bit of credit. It was this incredible, unbelievable moment, events, piece of history. When the Holy Spirit descends upon the apostles and they begin to speak in tongues. Now, I'm just going to say that I do believe that the gift of speaking in tongues is relevant and active and it brings a special connection to the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches about two different kinds of the gift of tongues. One is one that maybe you're familiar with if you've grown up around church. Honestly, you probably came in here today either with very little understanding of the Holy Spirit because you grew up on one side of the argument or with just a wild understanding of the Holy Spirit because you grew up on the other side. And so there's this one gift of tongues that's spoken about throughout the Bible that never in the Bible does it say this is probably just for a little while and it'll go. It's just given as one of the gifts. And it is this heavenly language. It's called, the Greek is glossolalia. It's these heavenly languages that someone else can interpret and it gives you a connection to the Spirit. The other gift of tongues is the one manifesting right here. Uh, it's the one we see, which is the ability, the supernatural ability to just speak another language without any training. Missionaries experience it all the time in country. It's something that happens today, often, all the time. So Peter gets up and he gives this message that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And in one day, the first day of the Holy Spirit's activity in the church, the church grows from 120 people to 3,000 people. Just in, like that. And it keeps growing from there by the power of the Holy Spirit. At the end of that sermon, Peter says to the crowd in Acts 2.38, Repent. And each of you will be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, this amazing power, this power that gives you the ability to do the things Jesus did, this power that gives you the boldness to speak the way Jesus spoke, this power 
that gives you a unique, never before in the history of humanity up to this day, ability to commune with the presence of God is not just for the apostles. It's not just for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not just for the the heroes that we see in the Bible. It's for you, and it's for me. Repent, be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you give your life over to Jesus and follow him in the example of baptism, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus says, or John says that I baptize you with water, but one who is coming will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied about this day when these tongues of fire would descend on these men and they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? you have from God. You are not your own for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. When you give your life over to Jesus and follow him in the example of baptism, you get the Holy Spirit. And it's this holy union between God and man that takes place for you to become the dwelling place of the almighty, of this aspect of him, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. In the old days, the Spirit of God dwelt only in one place, At this time, it was the temple in Jerusalem over the Ark of the Covenant had a spot right in the middle called the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, the presence of God dwelt. And it was only there. And everybody who lived before this moment would go to Jerusalem and just go as close as they were allowed to get to that mercy seat, just to get within just a a few meters of the presence of God. It was the only way they could experience it. But Jesus said, it's better for me to leave because it's better for you to have the one that is coming after me. And that is because millions of people traveled hundreds of miles on foot just to get meters away from the presence of God. But the Bible says that when you repent and you bring Jesus into your life and you are baptized as he was, that the Holy Spirit of God, his presence comes inside of you. Can you even imagine inside of you, into the deepest parts of your hearts? It communes with your soul, and you become the temple of God, the presence of God dwelling within you. I grew up thinking, uh, you know, I grew up going to Bible school and all that, and uh, I was always asking Jesus into my heart, you know? And I mean, I asked Jesus into my heart at least 100 times. By the time I was 10, y'all, I was so saved. And I had like this mental image, right, of like a heart shaped like a piece of candy, you know, and it had like a little bitty door and there was like a compartment for a guy to go in there and just kind of hang out. And there was like a little Jesus, he had like a little table and chairs, there's a little, little bearded Jesus in there, you know, it was the 90s, so he was like blonde haired Jesus, just hanging out in there and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and that's a misnomer. 
Because we don't invite Jesus to come into our heart. In fact, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And there's some scripture that points to that. That's because the Holy Spirit is just an aspect of God, the same that Jesus is an aspect of God, the same that the Father is an aspect of God. But it's not Jesus that comes into your heart and into your soul. It is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God that dwells inside of you. And that's significance. Because it means you have closeness with the God of the universe, and it means that his power rests within you. And that's the third thing I want to talk to you about. That's the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. There is power living inside of you that you have access to that many of us never tap into. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb and right inside of you. The apostles went out uh, the moment of, of Pentecost and began to work miracles, the same miracles that Jesus worked amongst people. They healed. They preached the gospel with boldness, with the kind of boldness and directness that they never show in the gospels. Because now they're not just them, they're them with the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of them. Peter's story is a great example. We see Peter throughout the gospels as as he's brash and he's fast and he's got a temper issue and he's always kind of getting, Jesus is like, come on, Peter. Jesus calls him, so one time he looks at Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. And I'm just saying, that's a bad day when Jesus Christ looks at you and says, get behind me, this Peter. And Peter, he denies, people are asking him, do you know the one who's on trial, the man from Nazareth? And Peter says, no, I don't swear to you. I've never even seen him before. I don't even know this. He's, he's worried, he's scared, he's afraid. But the Peter of the New Testament Testament in Acts is bold. He stands up at the Sanhedrin. He stands up before all the men who killed Jesus and says, you killed Jesus and you need to repent because he is alive and resurrected and the power of the living God. And he, he preaches the gospel with boldness in the same city where people shouted, crucify him just days before. He's different. Why? Because he's no longer operating under the power of Peter. He's now operating under the power of the spirit of the living God. The same spirit that is at work within you. Acts 4.31 And when they prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I just don't even have time in one day to tell you about all the wonderful and incre incredible and amazing and miraculous things that you have access to by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. In fact, the work of spiritual formation, the work that we hope to take you through as you grow in Christ here as a part of our church, is the work of understanding the power of this Spirit more and more. And coming into greater and greater understanding of the power that you have access to as an agent of the Holy Spirit. The book of Romans unveils a lot about the Holy Spirit's power to us. And here's, here's a passage that I think really brings it into a great understanding. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
Now, that's just obvious, but let me explain it a little bit. The flesh, meaning everything that the world is telling you matters, meaning what your body naturally wants, meaning what the world says is important, status, money, power, people, control over people, all these things that we think matter, but we know are not necessarily right, not good for us. Anybody who doesn't have the spirit just lives according to the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, what this passage is trying to help you understand is that before you meet Jesus, your life revolves around death. That's why everyone you know who doesn't follow Jesus is constantly seeking and searching and trying to fill up the voids in their life with a million different things. But if you have the spirit of God inside of you, you get to live from a place of life. You have the power to bring life not only in yourself, but onto the lives of others. You have the power to share it you have the power to communicate with it, to be gifted in it, to use those gifts to bring other people into a knowledge of Jesus and then a baptism in his spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live the life you were made to live and to glorify and serve God in ways that are bigger than yourself on a daily basis. You have power because of the Holy Spirit to speak life and death over others. You have power because of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel in every situation, even when you think you can't do it. You have the power to put your flesh to death, to say no to the things your body and your brain tells you it needs, to choose things that bring you life through the Holy Spirit instead. You have access to the power of life over death. You have power at work within you. You have gifts inside of you that are a product of this Holy Spirit. Gifts that would allow you to bring the power and the work of the Holy Spirit into your world in a way that is unique to you. That nobody before you has done it exactly the way you were made to do it and nobody after you will again. We call it purpose. One of our four pieces of vision here at the church is that we want to lead you to discover your purpose. You cannot discover your purpose without the power of the Holy Spirit because the power of the Holy Spirit is what will empower you to live within that purpose, the gifts that he's given you, the way that God's made you alongside the gifts that he's given you, the supernatural things he wants to uh, do at work within you, the things he wants to unleash within you, the things he wants to bring to fruition within you through the power of his Holy Spirit are all a part of the purpose he's created you with. You can do bigger things than you ever thought possible. And it's by this power that is at work within you. 
Those things that you thought you would struggle with for the rest of your life can be put to death by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your sin, your addictions, your guilt, your shame, you can be broken free of it by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can be healed, you can be made whole by the power of the Holy Spirit. God can take your story and use it to transform and change the lives of others by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can do things that honor him in ways you never thought you were qualified for because he qualifies you through his Holy Spirit. You have power at work within you. We see the, the, the apostles working in this power throughout the Acts. Go read the Acts and learn what the Spirit wants to do using you. And now it's your turn. The last thing today, your turn. Now, for the next three weeks, what I want to teach you is how to hear the Holy Spirit. Because maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but you have felt alone in it. Maybe the way that you've gone on is just through sheer force of will and discipline, and that's great. But it's easier by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna talk through what that looks like. How do you grow the Spirit's presence in your life? How do you hear Him? How do you listen to Him? How do you help Him guide you in the decisions that you make and the things that you choose? We can help you with all of that. That's what this whole next series is about. But today, I just wanna encourage you that there is a power at work within you when you follow Jesus. And that it's not just a story and it's not a character. It's not something that you've been told about that, that's mysterious. There's no mystery. There is mystery to God for sure. But there's also the, only, the Holy Spirit is spoken about over and over and over and over again through Scripture to make clear and present and available to us. He's not meant to be out of reach or like some ghost story that gives us mystique and chill bumps and then we just go on having no idea what happened. The Holy Spirit is there for, for you. To, to use in this life, to be in the presence of God every single day you get to be. I just try to imagine, take your, take your head back to a world 2,000 years ago, and people were the same. They were the same. They wanted the same things in life. They felt the same things. They, they saw the same things. They went through tragedies. They went through celebrations. They were people. But imagine that you wanted closeness to God and the way that you had to get it was a few times a year you would get up, you'd pack your things, you'd load up your mule and you would walk for a couple weeks till you got to Jerusalem and you would see that dome. You would see, you would see the temple there at the highest point in Jerusalem and you'd get butterflies in your stomach, chill bumps because you know oh, the power and the presence of God is on that hill. I felt so hungry for it. I felt so, I felt so empty without it. And now, as I walk through these streets, I get closer and closer with each step to the presence of the one who spoke everything into being, to the spirit who was among the waters when it was all just formless and dark. And you come up to the temple and you go through the rituals of the temple and you cleanse yourself and you say the prayers and 
you feel whole. You feel whole, at least just for this moment. And you worship in a way that you haven't been able to worship in months. And you feel the presence of God. You're, you feel a, a joy that you can't explain, that you, you just, you don't get anywhere else. A wholeness. You feel complete for the first time in months because you're right back here where God's presence dwells. But then it's over. And the festival ends. And it's time to go home. You got work to do. You got to get back to your job. So you leave, you pack your things up. And with every step away from that hill, every step away from Jerusalem, you feel further and further from the presence of God because you are further and further from the presence of God. And you just get through life for the next three, four, few months till the next time you get to go back. That's what it was like until one day Jesus was on the cross of Calvary. And the moment that he gave up his spirit for you, the Bible says that the temple shook and this six foot thick curtain that separated his presence from his people was torn in half from top to bottom so that his spirit would never be held away from you again. So that there would never be a wall between you. So that you would never have to take a journey on foot to find him. So that you would never have to know what it felt like to live apart with him ever again. Oh, Christian, you are living in the best time to be alive. Because inside of you is that presence that those believers, they yearned for. They would give their lives for. They would sacrifice for. And we wake up every morning and have the opportunity to worship by the power of his spirit to be the, in the presence of the living God in my bathroom, you guys. Just telling you. You have access to his presence. So let's take advantage of it. Let's never take it for granted. Let's remember the steps of all the people that came before us as they walked towards that temple to be in his presence and let's accept that we get to do what others have only dreamed of live with the power and presence of God inside of us do you have the Holy Spirit within you and if not are you ready to know God in his fullness are you, under, are you ready to understand him more and more in prayer and by studying his word? Are you ready for him to reveal himself to you as you read his words and it'll never just be words again? Are you ready to receive the fruits of his spirit like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? Maybe you're in here today and you've never been baptized in this Holy Spirit because you don't know him because you don't know the one who came before him and if that's you I want you to know that you were made to have the presence of God inside of you you are a vessel for him and you don't have to you don't have to do anything to get ready you don't have to go get your life right you don't have to you know, it can be stressful I'm going to be the temple of the living God Mike I got to go get some tattoo removal done I got I got some other stuff I got to get in order 
I got to get Saturday night straightened out before I can live in a Sunday morning. And I need you to understand that he wants you right now exactly as you are, that the power of his Holy Spirit cleanses you. It qualifies you. It makes you worthy that because of the Son, because of Jesus and his sacrifice, your sin, everything that you've done and that you're doing, that you're going to do, it's taken care of. The bill is paid. The debt is paid. You are forgiven. You get to enter into a relationship with him right now that is eternal and lasts forever. And you get his presence inside of you right now, no matter who you are. And so if you're in here today and you're ready to enter into that relationship with Jesus, every head bowed, every eye closed, let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own. Forgive me for believing I could. I need you. And I believe in you. And I believe in what you've done for me. And so I receive you today. And I give my life to you. Everything that I am from this moment forward, I am yours. In Jesus' name, in the powerful, powerful name of Jesus, amen.